0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hi everyone, it's Wednesday night, and that means it's time for the happiest hour on the internet, friends and fiction. Welcome to our show as we celebrate the launch of my new novel, Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. And we have a really amazing special guest for you tonight, Richard Paul Evans, the king of Christmas. We have so much to look forward to tonight. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey.
2: I'm Patty Callahan Henry. I'm Mary Kay Andrews.
1: I'm Kristen Harmel. And this is Friends in Fiction, New York Times bestselling authors, endless stories to support independent bookstores. Tonight, because as the song says, we need a little Christmas right this very minute, we'll meet Richard Paul Evans and celebrate my new Christmas in Peachtree Block.
3: Yay! <laughs>
2: And for the past five weeks, we have partnered with WarWicks in beautiful La Jolla, California as our featured independent bookseller. You know that we started this from the beginning to support independent booksellers. And WarWicks is the country's oldest continuously family-owned and operated bookstore. So they are our ideal dream partner for our mission here on Friends and Fiction. Browse their selection, which includes our books as well as the latest by tonight's guest, Richard Paul Evans.
4: You know that every week we partner with Parade Magazine online. We stream from their Facebook page and we have an original essay in their online magazine every week. This week, Christy, right here, reflected on the year. Her family became the Griswolds of National Lampoon's (laughs) Christmas Vacation, of course. You can find that essay linked to on our Facebook page and in our Instagram bio and on Parade.com.
1: A few years ago that we um, got some really over-the-top Christmas decorations for our house. Some of you might know that my mom and I have an interior design blog called Design Chic and um, it was really fun. We got to partner with this company and they decorated our house to the max for Christmas. So you'll have to read to find out more but it ended up a few years later kind of inspiring Christmas and Peachtree Bluff in some ways and um, just made me remember how fun it is just sometimes to do something that's fun and a little bit different and you know, try on a life that's a little different from yours even if it just means hundreds of thousands of twinkle lights. (laughs) So I want to know what is your favorite part of prepping for the holidays? Mka, can we start with you since you're a big holiday prepper? Don't say no to me. It's my launch night. You
5: never use the word no. <laughs> I, would, I would never. Okay, so uh, if you know me, you know that my theory of decorating is too much is just enough. Yeah. yeah. So I go totally overboard with decorating our house with bins and bins of vintage Christmas treasures that I have been hoarding for decades. I put on my favorite Phil Spector Christmas album and I wait for the moment when Darlene's love sings, Christmas baby, please come home, my favorite. And then I fling the shiny bright ornaments and the bottle brush trees and the paper mache snowmen and the Santas and the elves and plaid everything all over the house. And then I'm happy.
2: And then you have a party and we come.
4: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Oh, I like that last part. I like that, too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. for us, it's just setting the stage in the house. It's the, you know, the fire crackling in the fireplace, which I know you guys don't believe me because I live in Florida, but it does get chilly here and we have a fireplace. So, so, I mean, we wait till it gets to like 65 degrees. We're like, ooh, it's fire. <laughs> I mean, it's like 85
5: today. You can see by my outfit. It is. <laughs> the fireplace is made of cardboard, right? Christine? Yeah, exactly. No, it yeah. really is. It's a nice place. Oh, and, it make, and it makes a
1: crackling sound, but it's not real.
4: <laughs> you guys, saying. let me believe in my fireplace, okay? No, but for us, it's not really Christmas until we've done the rounds of the um, the Disney hotels. We get on the monorail and we go to the Grand Floridian, the Polynesian, um, and the Contemporary—the three that are on the monorail track—and they all decorate beautifully for the for the holidays, including a life size gingerbread house at the Grand Floridian. So we do that. We drink our hot chocolate. We listen to Christmas carols, and then it's Christmas.
1: I'm here too early. We have done that <laughs> too tonight. Early
4: but we're hoping she sees some fireworks tonight yeah
2: yeah oh that's awesome for us it's just you know decorating stockings on the mantle, amy grant's christmas in tennessee playing in the background and sparkly lights everywhere and by january my kids plead can you stop with the christmas music already because that is the only thing allowed in the house from thanksgiving till january 1st is Me fun christmas music Me too. I and then
5: it. you know what happens your kids get older and they lose some of their cynicism and they say hey mom Why what have, what you? happened to that little thing that you used to yes. that little guy that used to put and you're like what the you, santa you? whose hips dance
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have, like, mom used to put this little, um, there was this little tree and it was like porcelain, but it had these little holes in it and had lights inside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Those are in now. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sitting here thinking, whatever happened to that? Like, why is it not in my bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. Mom, I hope you're looking for that right now. (laughs) Okay. Now, speaking
5: of celebrations, we have to pause for a moment to toast for both Patty and Christy. Patty's book. Oh, I almost had a wine already them out last week,
3: and Christie's is
5: out this week, and launch weeks, you know, they're hard on authors, especially as Mm -hmm. for those authors Mm -hmm. who work as hard as Patty and Christie do on the road, and we know that from personal experience, because we've been with them, so let's raise a toast, a glass to these beautiful wintry books, and the authors who wrote them. Cheers.
2: Okay, now let's talk about our guests. Richard Paul Evans. Richard is not just a New York Times bestselling author, but a number one New York Times bestselling author and USA Today author, bestselling author of more than just a teeny weeny bit, 40 novels. Wow.
5: (laughs) He is, in fact, there are more than 35 million copies of his books in print worldwide. That's three and then five, not 3.5, translated into more than 24 different languages. Richard has won the American Mother's Book Award, the Romantic Times Best Women's Novel of the Year Award, the German Lesper Blah 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 Award for Romance. (laughs) (laughs) I took college German, okay? And two first... It paid off
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a big, a big way. way. Yeah, that, you know, I forgot University of Georgia. That, that makes all the sense. Oh, that
5: explains it. That explains it. Okay. OK. There are also two first place Storytelling World Awards. <laughs> He's also a five-time recipient of the Religion Communicators Council's Wilbur Award.
4: Richard also founded the Christmas Box International, which is an organization devoted to maintaining emergency children's shelters and providing services and resources for abused, neglected, or homeless children, teens, and young adults. As a result of his humanitarian work, Richard has received the Washington Times Humanitarian of the Century Award Wow! and
1: the Volunteers of America National Empathy Award. That's amazing. Yeah. He currently lives in Salt Lake City with his wife, Carrie, and their children and grandchildren. His heartwarming new novel, The Christmas Promise, will be released next month, we're so excited to have Richard with us today. Sean, can you bring him on, please? Hi, hi welcome, hi, Richard. To... Hello. Hi. We are so Patty glad. Patty and
6: Christy, congratulations on your
1: board. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, we're so happy to have you here tonight. And um, as you told us backstage, we'd love for you to shed a little light on this for our audience, because we've, we've been talking about, you know, all these printing problems and paper shortages and things like that happening. And you were actually, that really actually happened to you. So will you tell us a little bit about the Christmas promise and, um, and a little bit about the printer delays?
6: Well, they they were going to release the book on November 2nd, which is election day, not the best day to release. And, uh, but we got all ready for it. And my, um, assistant slash publicist she had, we had more than 300 events set up and then we got two weeks ago we got noticed that my book was um that the supply chain to man had bumped it and bumped it a week so it, was, it could come out november 9th so we she had to call all the interviews she had to call just everything oh and gosh. change it because so she changed it and no lie the day she finished changing everything uh, the day after we got a call and they said we are bumping your book again we can't oh. have books in time, and so um, November twenty third is coming out the the week of Thanksgiving, and um, my agent, of course, went ballistic. It's like it's like it's not my like it's not my fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. It's <laughs> like they, they can't get books. There's not enough people working. There's not. It's like it's like if we don't have a book, we don't have a book. So, oh yeah. wow, what a nightmare! That's so terrible. Yeah,
4: but, well, but you
6: know you know my first book, the Christmas box, um, because I self published it. And it sold out. It, I had I had done, um, gosh, I think we had done like twelve thousand copies, and or I did seven thousand copies. It sold out, and then the first of December, ten thousand more hit the streets, and they sold out in three days, just locally. Wow. And um, I had all these ads running and everything, and it's like, well, you can't buy the book. I told them it's like, thanks for buying it, but you can't buy the book. And people, like two women, got in a fist fight over the last copy of the book. <laughs> and, and what and what I learned is, you really want to sell a book. Tell people they can't have it.
3: Yeah, there you go.
6: Yeah, so I told people that it's like this book. If it sells out before Christmas, they printed a lot of copies. But if it sells out before Christmas, you either get an e-book or you're out of luck. And so the yeah. pre-orders have been really high. So it might be a good thing.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's a good. You gotta you gotta make lemonade sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. So good yeah. for you for doing that. Yeah. Well, can you tell us a little about the Christmas Promise, please? Yeah,
6: Christmas Promise. Um, it's. I took a Bible story of the the prodigal son and I made it the prodigal daughters. There's Mm. these two, uh, they call call them, it's Rochelle and Michelle, and they they go by Ricky and Mickey. Um, They're identical twins who haven't spoken to each other in eight years. And uh, Rochelle, who the story is told from, she is the studious, she's a PICU nurse, she's very intense, and her sister, Michelle, just likes to play and party. And um, so, like, right after they graduated from high school, Rochelle went off to uh, college and um michelle of course went to tour europe and with a boyfriend and so um it's their story it's about it's about finding what true love really is and what has happened is her sister has died and she never got to to make up and so and she's one day she's at a, her book writing club and this man shows up and um it's a love story and she's starts he helps her start to see that maybe things aren't the way she thought they were. And so it's it's fun taking what was a Bible story. I, I think most people won't notice it. But really um, focusing on the older son. That maybe the older son is the bigger problem than the younger son. And this is the one so, who and, took off. Yeah. Exactly. It's like and so it's um, I was you know when I finished the book I thought I wonder if anyone will like this. It's gotten really great national reviews and um that's that's always a good thing i wasn't sure why it's like oh I was, I, and so people are really liking it. if only they could um actually get it out there that'd be
1: they could read it they would really like it they might, yeah. they
6: might i hope they do i mean i don't know about you but i'm always scared it's like maybe this is the book that ruins me this oh is yeah
4: oh, wow. oh i like that ever. <laughs> every, every, every single
6: time <laughs> remember Notting hill when uh, julie roberts says that and they'll discover i can't act
3: yeah, yes. it's always
6: like, okay, I've written 42 New York Times bestsellers, but maybe this is one that realize I really can't write after all.
2: They're right. going to so, pull the plug on me. I know yeah, they absolutely. are. I've yeah.
4: <laughs> thought every time. Yeah. Okay, so Richard, you have this great, um, this great line in the book. The father tells the girls, he gives them these necklaces, right? And he says, these opals look identical, but the fire inside each is completely unique, just like the two of you. So these two women, though, are at odds When one of them, as you just mentioned, is dying and suddenly the other one is left to spend a lifetime, essentially, trying to atone for these sins in a way. Why did you choose this theme um, to focus on? Why did you choose this biblical inspiration and why did this story strike a chord with you in a way that made sense to retell for Christmas?
6: Well, I as um, a newly born again Christian, I'm fascinated with the concept of grace and the idea I, I really used to think I was a pretty good guy and um, to all of a sudden realize that that maybe I'm not as good as I think I am and that I'm broken and then to actually to be free from judging others has been an incredible uh, release and that's really what the book is about. It's about accepting others and saying, look, I'm broken, admitting that it's broken, um, that none of us are as good as we think we are and then to take that same grace and apply it to others. And, to, and then you start to see love as it really is and so the end does people are crying at the end of it it's like oh my gosh i didn't see that coming there was a line at the end of this book that absolutely took my breath away have you ever had that happen it's like oh my gosh you did not say that you did not and my my, my agent said the same thing she goes it dropped me to the floor when i read that too. i couldn't believe it i go i know it's intense um but every now and then you get this little gifts. It's like this one yeah. line, and you'll know it. You'll know when you hit it because, like, I can't believe that just happened, and people just start crying. That's pretty cool.
4: Yeah, it's awesome.
2: That's amazing. Those little gifts are what keep us writing, right? Exactly. Because if we yeah. if we didn't get that happening once in a while, where we surprise ourselves, we we'd probably quit altogether. Because, as our Mary Kate says, the self loathing would finally win out. But you're. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Your novels are Christmas stories. Absolutely. But as you just said, they pack a tremendous emotional punch from your very first novel, The Christmas Box, which you self-published and then it took off. You said you wrote it as a Christmas gift. Um, It's about a woman who mourns the death of her child to the Christmas promise. Twenty six years later, when twins are parted by death, your novels have a lot to do with happiness. And a lot to do with joy. And yet at the same time, there is this immense toll of grief and how we heal from that. Why does that message resonate with you? Because you started there and then this one has the same things.
6: Well, when, you know, after I wrote the first book, I didn't want to be typecast. And so I started to move away and write different books. I did the, the Christmas Box. I thought, well, how do I follow up a book that's a number one international bestseller? And um, there's a lot of pressure. And so I wrote Timepiece, and it was a movie. And it's like um, I, I I stuck with it. I wrote kind of a trilogy, and then I moved off. It's like I don't want to be the Christmas guy, and um, my sales were really high. You know, back in those days, they were so high. And they, but they, they were falling every year a little bit, just a little bit. It's like okay, I peaked. I peaked young. I was 29. And um, then I thought, with one of my books, I barely hit the New York Times bestseller list. I thought, okay, maybe I just have one more book. And so I wrote, um, I thought, I'm gonna write a Christmas book again. And the, that book was called Finding Noel. It absolutely exploded. They went back for a, an extra hundred thousand copies the first week. And wow. It's like, you know what? Maybe you should dance with who brought you to the dance. <laughs> and, and so I, I thought, you know, I love Christmas. I don't need to be ashamed of Christmas. And so I just, I, I just embraced it and leaned into it, and um, that's what's happened. So some of the books are more Christmassy, is that a word, uh, than yeah. others. Some sometimes the Christmas is just a setting. And sometimes it's a deeper meaning because, you know, as Dickens says, sometimes Christmas to me is a time when we can look at each other as fellow passengers to the grave.
3: And, oh, we, and hopefully can. we look
6: at each other with a little more humanity. And so that's why I like the scene. I think Christmas gives a lot of that. Um, and so I, I, I always make a at least a nod, you know, to Christmas in my books.
2: Well, the theme is always there, but you definitely bring people to tears, So, I mean, maybe it's because Christmas does open us up in different ways than any other time of the year. Christmas is when we our hearts are a little softer towards family and loss and hope. And yeah. but I've never I've, I've always like trying to figure out why things hit the way they hit. Mm-hmm. And Christmas novels do that. And yours even more yeah. so.
6: Thank you.
1: Um, I just wanted to remind everyone really quickly that if you have any questions for Richard you can drop them in the chat and um, we will hopefully have time to take one or two of those from you guys. Um, But I have a question for you right now Richard. Um, What is it you know you've you've made a name for yourself as you said as uh, the king of Christmas fiction and you know have really sort of leaned into that. So what is it that appeals to you so much about writing about the holiday season and how have you managed to keep each of these new stories so fresh?
6: Well, every every book has a different theme. Um, I had the chance when I, my first book hit it big, and, and my publisher was like, "Yeah, anything you want." I said, "Well, I want to I want to have lunch with Mary Higgins Clark." Yeah. And so um, they set up a lunch, and it was really she was delightful. And um, but I asked her something. I said, "Okay, you've been doing this a long time." And all your books are bestsellers. How come you're still around? You know, you, that. and uh, what is your secret? And she said, I look at every book as the best book I ever wrote. Oh, wow. And, and uh, it's like, I'm going to write the best book I can. And sometimes, you know, the magic happens. Sometimes it doesn't as much. But I thought of that that integrity. And it's like, okay, every book is going to be the best book I can write. And that, you know, if that means I'm writing in the middle of the night, then, you know, that's what we you know, that's what happens. And, and you know, you, you bleed through it. And that's, that's why. But so Christmas is, again, it's just kind of a niche I fell into. And when the New York Times coordinated me, the king of Christmas fiction, it's like, well, let's grab that.
2: Yeah, I'll put that crown on. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. I love that. I mean, I think it's a pretty good one. I, yeah. I like that title a lot. <laughs> um, Mary Kay, do you have a question?
5: I do. You know, we touched on this a little bit uh when we got when we before everybody came on. But in addition to your success as an author, you have not one, not two, not three, but four movies made out of your books. And we're wondering what role you've had in bringing your books to life in the movies. And also, I know you shared with us that you have some news about a feature film coming up. Yeah. So if you would Talk a little bit about that and what your role is in the in the transformation from your book to the film.
6: Um, OK, so the, I actually have um, eight movies. Oh, so, oh, my gosh. Um, I can't count. Very, Somebody update your website. <laughs> <laughs> I need to update my website. Yeah, um, But I'm very, it's, I'm very excited. I have my first feature film and um, it stars Justin Hartley of This Is Us. And um, he's, awesome. he, he's the executive producer and Charles Shire, who, if you look him up, he's, I've seen at least five of his major movies. He does a lot with Steve Martin. And um, anyway, I'm very excited to see it. I haven't seen it yet, but that comes out next year. Um, but up to that point, um, I, I don't know, Barry. I haven't had, they didn't give me that much connection. And when I did my first book, I, I sold the Christmas box to a little local producer Bonneville who then turned it to CBS I mean they were going to change the name of it and all of a sudden they paid me I mean like like $30,000 or $17,000 for it and as the reporter from TV Guide said it's like you kind of lost a million dollars on it go, yeah but I was a kid I was pretty excited and um it um they changed a lot they were going to change the name of it and all of a sudden they have the number one book in the nation and then they're and I remember I'm doing an interview and I knew better than to trash my book but they did some ch- made some changes that I never would have made and um, and I remember the the reporter for TV guy just kept just goading me like well didn't you hate this didn't you hate this, and you knew she'd already written the story and finally said look I would have done it different well then she turns into he hates the movie and uh, then I get called by the director who screams at me and it was horrible <laughs> and it's like you know it is it is what it is and you know we're talking about possibly doing a, a remake of the Christmas Box after all these years. Mm-hmm. And um, but so I really had very little um, connection. I, I used to do cameos, like the, I have one with Rob Lowe and Christopher Lloyd, and I did a That's cameo. Awesome. And my kids mocked me; they they laughed so hard because if you've ever seen Pee-wee Herman, when he walks through the end of the movie, he's looking at the camera. That was totally me. And <laughs> they're like, "Oh my gosh, someone here does not belong on this set." And um, and I said, "Well, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> my kids are going to make fun of me, so." Uh, other than that, I don't really have a lot of uh, contact or connection on it, which oh, is, which is, yeah, which is, it's, it's actually kind of okay. You know, they just filmed my daughter's movie um, in Rome, and she was upset that she wasn't on the set. Yeah. Um, it's like actually it was Florence, Florence, Italy, and and um, it's like they kind of do their own thing, and some are closer to others. Hallmark has bought a lot of my things, and they have a formula, and they change, you know, they change a lot of it, but um, they have a formula that's successful and. And, um, yeah. you know, it is what it is.
5: Would you talk to us about what you're working on now and if that's already been optioned um, for the movies?
6: Well, Christmas Promise, I talked to the uh, producer uh, last week who's done six of my movies and he loves it. And he got another producer involved. It's like, we want this. So we're, we're the other ones you got um, Noel Dowry turned into a feature. He goes, this thing is I think it's going to be really big. So that's where we are, but that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. If, if it happens, it happens.
3: Yeah. It um, doesn't, it doesn't.
6: Yeah. It's like, you know, I, I write, I'm a, I'm a book writer, you know, I love writing yeah. books and um, I don't, I don't write for, for TV or movies. I just, that's what I do. So that's awesome. But it's fun. I mean, it's fun to see it. And, um, it's kinda cool because I you know, I have the family over and we all sit down and watch it. And then when my name comes up on the screen, based on the book by Richard Paula they all clap. And uh, and then it's good. We can turn it off now if we want. And you get, <laughs> no, or, right.
5: and you get your own IMDb page, which right. you know, my children are impressed with. Yeah.
2: Yep, that's, that's right. Funny. That's funny. It's
5: funny.
1: Um, well, I think that we are going to take a few live questions now. We're really, um, we have a lot of questions coming in for you from our readers. Christian, do you want to ask a question? Yeah, sure. Uh, Richard,
4: Jen O'Brien wants to know, and I think this is great since you just mentioned your daughter, what's it like having your daughter as a writer? Do you give her fatherly encouragement, and would you ever do a joint book or some sort of writing project with her?
6: Uh, Jen, um, first of all, people, I think it was a little bit hard for her. She was my writing assistant, and through two of my series, The Walk and the Michael Vay series. And, and the Michael Vay series is an international bestseller. She, she really helped me a lot. And that's when I told her after eight years. Uh, I, and Jenna actually studied this. She went to ASU and studied literature, and where I just started writing. I was an ad guy. And I said, Jenna, you you hear the music, as Stephen King says. You hear it. You you, you could write. And, and she really res- actually resisted it. And finally she wrote a book called Carolina Carolina and uh, her writing was wonderful And the book. There was no book there. There's no plot as she said. And um, she sent it to an agent to my agent, took it and didn't do anything with it. and, And it's like, she goes, this is too hard. And I would never, you know what it's like, ladies. I would yeah. never put a child into that much pressure if she wasn't good. It'd be like grabbing your kid and throwing him in the NFL and throwing him out there. It's like, hey, go yeah. play football. I can get you yeah. in. And then they're yeah. going to get killed the first game. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to emotionally do that to my daughter. But it's like, Jenna, you're good enough. And um, she kind of didn't do anything. And I, I and so I, I, I told her, I, she wrote me. She goes, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And I go, no, 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 that's no, you are cut out for this. And and so I I contacted my publisher and said, look, I know writing this gal can write. She just needs she has no editor. She needs some direction. And that's when she wrote Love and Gelato. And the book sold, nice. I think it sold 10 times what they expected. It's huge.
3: Wow. It's
6: huge. I was just in Beverly Hills and their books were all over the on, the, on the shelf, which makes me so happy. They didn't that's even awesome. have mine. <laughs> and, but but nowhere in the books does she mention me. There's no connection. No one's ever made that, and so it's sad that some of the local writers actually aren't. Um, they don't really include her because it's like, oh, he's, she's there because of her dad. It's like, no, she's not. She's there because she's talented, yeah. wow. and she continues to. She wrote two other follow-up best-selling books, but um, as a young woman with children, and you know, it's signed with some. Um, he's has autism, and and it's very challenging. First time she goes, dad, it's, it's not worth it. You know, maybe I should write later. And she and so I have nothing but admiration for you, how difficult it is to be a yeah. mother and to write. And it was really, yeah. really hard. And she, she bleeds through them. And she has seen me bleed. I mean, she once said yeah. to me, dad, do you think your readers have any idea how hard you work? It was like four in the morning, we're writing. She goes, do you, do you have any idea? And I said, no. uh, they don't know until, but they have at least, a quarter million other books they could choose instead of mine so yeah. yeah when they pick it up they know it's like they deserve that and so she yeah. took that same work ethic i mean i come from a, i come from a strange kind of family my dad had a master's degree in social work but he was also a, a building con- contractor and so we we're always out saturday morning building right so i have a blue yeah. collar work ethic and and so, but we would talk philosophy and so it created kind of a weird dynamic uh chimera. so Jenna's that same way but um she struggles with it. Like, is it really worth it? It hurts to write. And people don't, I mean, maybe it doesn't for you, but I, I just no, it uh, have a lot of empathy. Oh, yeah. I'm very, it very hurts. proud of her. I'm very proud of her. And just watching the cool things happen with her books. And the, the bigger thing is she was like this. I, I don't read. I'm not a big reader. And that sounds awful. I have uh, Tourette syndrome and OCD and ADHD and OCD. And because of that, I just, it, it's hard. I was always put in the slowest reading groups. And um, which sounds weird for a writer, Jen was the opposite. She read Gone with the Wind three times when she was when she was nine years old. Wow! And so she wrote the book that she wanted to write because she had read every young adult book that existed.
3: Wow! In fact,
6: we we would punish her for reading. That's how bad it was. <laughs> it's like you go out of your room now, out out, out, of, out of your room, young lady. <laughs> yeah. So she that was her background. So she is, in um, that sense, much more. Um, literate
2: than i am that's wow. awesome you must be proud
1: yeah yeah you you clearly are and that's really nice yes. to see that i think yes. you've spent more time talking about your daughter and her book than yeah. your own so than your cool. own I know. <laughs> I know i know yeah um well you have been such a great guest but before you take off would you mind giving us a writing tip please you've certainly um Written your fair share of amazing bestsellers, (laughs) and we could use a little tip. So, if you could just, you know,
6: (laughs) yeah, my, my, um, the most important thing I would share with anyone who wanted to be a writer is my personal, um, epiphany. After I wrote the Christmas box, here I have a book that sold, um, gosh, more than eight million copies. I mean, it was just huge. It was just, and then I'm writing the next book, and I know that everyone has their laser pointers on me, Mm -hmm. they want to destroy me. I can, you can feel it, you can see it, they're getting ready to attack. And I am under so much pressure, and it's like, okay, we're going to pay you millions of dollars to write another bestseller. And I keep trying to write it and write it, and after six months, I have nothing. And one day I'm out writing, and that's when I had the epiphany that changed my life. I realized I don't know how to write a bestseller. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because when I wrote The Christmas Box, I didn't write it for millions of people. I wrote it for my two little girls to understand something very, very personal. And so I stopped writing for the world, and I started writing for myself. Mm. I started to write something that I thought mattered. And I thought, they're going to hate this. It's not going to do well, but it doesn't matter. It's it's me. It's all I know. And so I wrote, instead of trying to write broad, I wrote very small. And then the next book was a huge bestseller. And every book has been that way since then. And I'm always surprised when I write something that's very, very personal, um, how many people, whether it's a father in Tokyo or you know the book got smuggled into somewhere in Iran. I've, I have I have contraband books in Iran. I have a huge book club in Iran, <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's they, they like copied my they they stole them. <laughs> they're, they're in Farsi, and you know, it's like wow, that's, that's kind of cool though. It's okay. <laughs> um, and it's like I just write what's what matters to me, and what we find is that we really have a lot in common, a lot more than we think we do. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a awesome.
1: great great tip, and I think write what. I was- Matters to you. Good advice. Like it matters that. to you, and that is that is yeah. a great way to get to an authentic story. Well, you have been such a great guest. We are so honored to have the king of the Christmas story on our show. <laughs> oh, thank um, you for coming. Thank you My for pleasure. coming. Thank you for sharing your advice with us, and um, we cannot wait to read the new book, um, November twenty third.
2: Show the cover. <laughs>
6: yeah, it's beautiful oh, cover. Yeah. You like that?
2: Show it again. It's that a gorgeous book. cover. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mary
6: Kay, we got on Mary Kay said, "Well, I have a copy of that book. It's like what?
1: <laughs> how did you get? How did you
6: get my that. book? And I don't have a copy of it." Yeah, you
1: can tell. You can tell who's most important here. <laughs> yeah,
6: <well, not>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you
2: so
5: Thanks much. Thanks again Thank for being
6: Richard. with us. Thanks for joining my us. My pleasure. Thank Bye. you. Take
2: care. We'll look for the book.
5: Can't wait.
4: Oh, that was great.
5: Yeah. So great. All right. Buckle up, Buttercups. <laughs> <laughs> it's launch night for Christie's Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. And we are here to celebrate. <laughs> what is that situation? Okay, this <laughs> is <laughs> That. This is a beautiful <laughs> hat sent to me by my I am going to beg to differ on this situation <laughs> But wait till you heard wait it says, heard it says. What is it say? I'm, put, I'm taking it off now because I want, I, this is not about silly hats, this is about a beautiful Oh my! Christmas gosh. book called Christmas okay. and pink I bra. love
3: that
1: hat, but okay
5: <laughs> I love
3: it. I love it.
5: I just was I was on, not expecting it and I wanted to see what it said. What did we'll it, talk later? It,
4: what it say? What does it say, Mary
5: No, we'll talk later. We're going to talk about Christmas and Bluff. Okay, well, you
1: better stay tuned for the after show. Okay. Right. We're not oh, getting out. Oh, stay for the after show.
2: Okay. Christmas in peach tree bluff is the fourth installment in Christie's beloved, enchanting, marvelous, wonderful peach tree bluff series. Just came out yesterday and the four of us actually got to spend the whole weekend together celebrating all of our recent releases with four tour dates across Florida. Look at us. We had so much fun. Can we go back?
4: I miss you guys I already. I we are know.
2: So, uh, I know. And you there was Meg. I, I know, but
4: Meg, Meg was with us too. It was so great. Oh, um, I really feel sad that we're not I together. Know. Christy and I are together. Yeah, we're, we're together. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know,
2: obviously. God, I
4: mean, supposed to be offended? You're sad? I'm right. I'm here, so sad. <laughs> I have no one here is that I love. I don't know. No, of course. My Christy. No, yeah, I love her. Okay, I'm the only one of the three of you. Or, the three of you others, who did not have a wintry release this year. But hearing these ladies talk about their books over the last few days has fully plunged me into that Christmas spirit, which is hard because it's 85 degrees out, as Christy pointed out. So, Christy, I just finished your book last week, and I cannot wait to talk about it with you tonight. Thank Thank you, Kristen.
5: Okay, let's get started. Christy. I mean, I know what it's about because I not only read it early, I blurbed it. But you tell us about Christmas in Peachtree Bluff and what inspired this story.
1: I know you guys are really, I know the three of you are really happy to, get to hear this again.
2: <laughs>
1: what's it about?
2: We
4: don't what's know. It
1: about
3: before I say that, I have
1: to tell everybody, and hopefully you guys follow along with us on our social media. And so you, if you do, you know that I've been on tour since last Monday. And so I was um, you know, celebrating Patty's launch with her, Once Upon a Wardrobe, and we've been just all over the place. And I feel like this book has been out for like a month, and it came out yesterday. So I'm like, tonight, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're finally celebrating the launch. This is so great. Um, but <laughs> Christmas and Peachtree Bluff is the fourth book in my Peachtree Bluff series but it also can be read as a standalone a few years have elapsed since the last book came out so you should be able to just dive right in if you haven't read the rest of the series Um, but the holiday season is heading toward Peachtree Bluff and so is the storm of the century in the form of a really giant hurricane and um Sloan, Emerson, and Caroline, who are three grown sisters, all head back to Peachtree Bluff, Georgia to see their mother, Ansley, with their big families in tow. And um, while they are there, Caroline, who's the eldest daughter, confides in her mother that her daughter, Vivi, who is 15, and is having some 15-year-old behavior, for sure, um, is just giving her such a hard time. And she's sort of at her wit's end with her daughter. And um, you know, online school is a thing. And so she says, Mom, could you just keep her until Christmas? And if she's in Peachtree tree bluff, and everything's magical, and she's with you, and maybe she'll be happy, and she won't hate me so much. And you know, we can all have a better holiday season that way. And so Ansley, being the doting mother and grandmother that she is, agrees but um, Vivi's bad behavior ends up getting herself and her family stuck on the island of Peachtree Bluff during the storm of the century. I mean, Jim Cantore's there. I, so. I was just gonna say it, I just gonna say the words out of my mouth, Jim. Yes. That's when they know things are dire. Yes, when Jim Cantore comes, Somebody texted me today, like one of my friends from home, and she said her sister texted her and was like, oh, the storm stud. Have y'all heard him called that? No. Nope. never.
5: I was like, I wish
1: she'd said that earlier. I would have called him the storm stud in the book. But anyway, <laughs> our buddy Jim. I've uh, never heard that. Me neither. Hashtag Storm stud. Storm stud. Okay. No, maybe we should tag him in a post that says that <gasps> yes. yeah. we're getting off track anyway <laughs> jim cantori is in Peachtree bluff which means you know it's bad because he only goes to the worst places um and so exactly. they are yeah wilder you yeah, never, never want to come to your town that's so true <laughs> um and so they are uh they get stuck in Peachtree bluff and it is up to and they have not provisioned for this hurricane by the way so it's up to Sloan, Emerson, and Caroline to not only rescue their family, but also to put Peachtree Bluff back together again, just in time for Christmas.
5: And now you, Christy, you had a little personal experience that inspired this story, right?
1: Yes, um, I did. Thank you for asking. <laughs> you welcome. story for all of you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
1: yes, yeah, so in a few years, well, a few years ago, Hurricane Florence came Sweeping through Carteret County where I live and did just tons and tons of damage to the whole county, including my house. So we were out of our house for about 18 months and, um, we lived in 11 different places. It was lovely. Um, and I kept kicking you out yeah it's a bad house well guess. you know when you don't pay rent that's why i <laughs> stayed in a hotel today rather than my house i'm like i've yeah. heard i've heard yeah. things yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: Exactly. i wouldn't have her over here yeah. uh-huh. i forgot i did have her here
1: <laughs> <laughs> no but it was so crazy because so many places were um had so much damage and so people would say like oh you can go like go in our house or you can stay at our house and we would get there and there would be like black mold all over the ceilings and like they had no idea because they hadn't been home to see their storm damage um but because of like the rental seasons and stuff there we would like go stay in a place and then there'd be a vrbo coming in or something like that so um we moved around a lot and um, it was just crazy and anyway i'm glad that's kind of behind us but um but yeah so i knew what it was like to sort of put a house back together and put a town back together after a storm but what i was really fascinated about was what about the people that stayed i mean we evacuated yeah. for that hurricane obviously i mean if any time mandatory evacuation is mentioned like i'm out of there i am not yeah. being stuck and so um, but there were a lot of people that didn't. that said, you know, we've ridden out every hurricane and we're not leaving. And we had lots of friends that stayed. Um, and I think everyone knew how bad the storm was going to be, but no one knew how long it was going to last. And it was actually a couple of weeks before we were able to get back to even see the damage to our house. So, you know, people were running out of supplies and food and water. And I mean, we were calling friends and saying, like, go to our house. You know, we have bottled water and vodka and, you know, all the things that you need when your power's been out mm-hmm. for two weeks. Um, and so, you know, I really just was interested in what it would be like to have been one of the people that stayed behind. And I I knew for a long time that I wanted to write a book about that. I thought that would be an interesting story, but I knew it was a Peachtree Bluff story and I wasn't going to write any more Peachtree Bluff books. So it wasn't until Christmas of 2020 when I thought, you know, I really want to write a Christmas book that I sort of took the storm idea and the Christmas book idea and put them together into one little Peachtree
2: Bluff package tied with
1: a bow. A red bow, a pink bow. A a
2: gold bow. (laughs) I know you said that this was a book you wrote for your Peachtree Bluff readers and fans. And I remember you put a call out on your (laughs) Facebook page. So I want you to talk about how your readers influenced what you ended up writing, because we talk a lot on here about our community and how much our readers mean to us, but they are a big reason that you returned to Peachtree Bluff again, and were you thinking about them when you were writing it?
1: Absolutely, so The Southern Side of Paradise came out in 2019, that was what was going to be my last Peachtree Bluff book, and you know how when you when you finish any book, even if you're meeting it for a for it to be a standalone you get those messages from people please write another book yeah. please write a sequel yeah. you know that kind of thing and you know most of the time you're thinking no i'm not going to do that and it was like that with southern side of paradise people would say oh we love this family please go back to peach tree what's when's the next peach tree coming out and i would say something vague but what i meant was i'm never writing more peach tree bluff um yeah. and so in 2020 i mean during like the real kind of dark days of the pandemic it was weird because it had been a while and you know i, I had a, another book already out and another one coming and pete street love was a little bit in my rearview mirror even though i loved it but i just sort of got this uptick in people saying again like i've reread the series we write another book in the series and um like kind of a lot of them and like actually my publisher was getting some too and so it was something that we had talked about and i kind of joked about like what is this this is so weird people want to get back to Peach street love. Yeah. um and so when i got the idea for the story i knew i wanted to pitch it but i really wasn't sure you know, if my publisher would say yes, because I thought they might be completely done with Peachtree Bluff, they don't want to go back. Um, and so, when I pitched the idea, I was going to go back and like take some emails and and put. But then I thought that feels kind of personal. Like I don't want to take people's emails and like send them, you know, to my publisher. So I went on Facebook and said, "Who wants to go back to Peachtree Bluff for Christmas?" And I think it was the most popular Facebook post I've ever had, yeah. which was really fun. Um, and so I sent that post in with my email of my pitch for the book and. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I really think it had a lot to do with, you know, just seeing that people really wanted to do it and to go back really had a a lot to do with it. Um, But then, you know, people really did. They would send me like, I want to make sure that so and so is in this book or that such and such happens in this book because it had been a few years. So people had things they wanted to know and like where people have been. And so at some point I started to feel all this pressure because I was like this really and truly. I mean, I wanted to write the book. I had a good idea. I thought I had a good idea for the story. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure, like, I was like, this is a book I'm writing for readers, really, more than anything. Yeah. So I want to make sure that they get what they want. And every now and then, I would go on Facebook, and I'd be like, okay, I'm working on Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. What do you absolutely want to see in this book? And it wasn't like plot points or anything, but it was more like, Coffee Kyle better be in this one, or, you know, we, yeah. we want to make sure that, you know, we see the dogs, or, you know, whatever it was. Like, they, people had really specific things they wanted to see. And I think I worked them all into the that's book. Awesome.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
1: It's a book by committee. Really. I love <laughs> it.
2: You crowdsourced
1: it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I mean, much. I know that you read our readers influence what we write, and we think about them, yeah. and we wonder, yeah. you know. So you you just took it more directly. It's it's amazing. Oh,
4: yeah. yeah. Well, and and it's nice too because it was the world you created. So you were just. Yeah. Asking people to remind you of the things that were beautiful
1: and important about that world, which I think is yeah. which I think is awesome. And then you put it all in. Yeah, I mean, it, it really it was fun and, and there wasn't anything like too outlandish that anyone was like, oh, we must see it was all pretty. It was things that I was like, OK, got that. But it was funny because um, now I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was something in there. Oh, I do know what it was, but I'm not going to say because it might ruin it for people who haven't read it yet. <laughs> but there was a character that I put in the book that my editor was kind of like, you know, I don't really know that we need this character in there. Like, I know they're important in the first books, but time has passed and it's not really related to the family anymore. And I was like, no, I've gotten so many emails asking, like, what happened Aww. to this guy? Like, no, we are going to let people know what happened to him. So um, it really was. It was like, you know, writing. Quite oh, I know. I know what happened to him. <laughs> I, was it no, Jim can't, no you don't want <laughs> to be It was Jim. I don't want to <laughs> say anything. Jim Cantore. I I'm really regretting. I kind of wanted to I kind of wanted to ask Jim Kiantori if he would come on the show tonight. <gasps> oh,
4: I think something like catastrophic would have happened to the show and it would have been <laughs> your he, fault. Is right he then. the is he the
5: storm is he the storm stud or the hurricane hunk? Which is it? Yeah. on you okay, we got we've got live questions coming in wow. debbie cooperman stone um Christy wants to know there are so <laughs> many more stories you could write about Peachtree Bluff oh, are funny. you gonna go there literally go there again
1: um maybe I might I mean it's funny how once you get back into something like it, as I was writing that book I was like, oh I know what the next I know the next story in the series. Um, So I mean, I'm not saying no. I really, it was so fun to go back there. And I get the allure of writing a series because you know the characters, you know the town. It's like visiting with old friends. Um, I don't want to like play it out, you know. Like I always want to make sure that I'm writing like my next best book, but yeah. I kind of think I have a really good idea for another feet street book. So, I mean, it's possible that I might write another one, but um, in the meantime, I mean, the wedding veil comes out in March. Um, I'm working on something for 2023. I mean, not not literally right now while <laughs> on the road, <laughs> but um, although y'all, 300 events. Richard was doing. Did, oh, he, did I hear
2: him right? I was thinking I didn't hear him he right.
1: Must, I think he must have meant
4: virtuals too, That Yeah, was, he must that's
2: have meant.
5: Yeah. That's
4: 300?
1: That's, I 300? need
5: a map thinking 300?
1: about it. I know. Oh, I mean, I think I have like 30, and it's, it's a lot. No, I think you have about 300. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like 300. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, it's amazing. Wow. Um, but so yes, yeah, so there there could be more Peachtree Bluff, and um, you know time will tell. But if there is, it will be a couple of years from now. It will not be like I'm not going to write you know 14 more Peachtree books in a row or anything like that. Um, but we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see how we'll see how Christmas and Peachtree Bluff goes. It's going great right <laughs> already. already. It's <laughs> exactly. amazing
2: already. OK, Jenny Adams wants to know, did you interview people who stayed during a hurlic- hurricane instead of evacuating?
1: I mean, I kind of didn't have to because um, I'm trying to like think of something to equate it to. But I mean, but you guys know, like if you've lived through something like that, like when you come home, everyone's telling their stories. It's kind of like it's right. kind of like even now already, like everyone's talking about, you know, their last trip they took before the pandemic or like where they were like two days before the shutdown and they had to scramble. It's like that kind of, um, yeah. so everyone's telling their story about what happened during the hurricane. And um, so I just had so many people just happenstance talking about you know all the things that happened when they stayed. Um, and also, I mean, I didn't stay during that storm, but I mean, I had been through some hurricanes before yeah. um, you know, in Beaufort and other places and tornadoes. And, you know, and I think that's what made Florence so bad. And you'll see that kind of in the story. It wasn't just a hurricane. It was a hurricane with tornadoes. Yeah, um, and yeah. that's what ended up happening to our house. It wasn't even really the hurricane. It was a tornado. So, um, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, but uh, it, it would definitely be scary to live through. And I tell you what, I'm glad that I was not there.
2: Yeah. You evacuated. Yeah. yeah.
1: So,
4: Christy, Deborah devlin Bove says, I got to know you through Friends and Fiction and found the Peachtree Bluff series. I'm so happy you've written another book. Thank you. So that's a sweet Aww, comment. Thanks. And Karen Delari would like to know, um, and it, this is actually a question for her husband, she says. He's curious to know, if you're willing to share, how much creative freedom do you have with writing your books versus the influence or
1: direction from a publisher or editor? Hmm. A whole whole lot. I mean I think we I think we would it's yeah. kind of for all of us. So yeah. I think we yeah. would all say that though. Yeah. 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 I and mean, I don't think they put a whole lot of emphasis on I mean, I don't think they have a whole lot of I'm not saying they don't they don't have the ability to have a lot of input on the what, what we write. Yeah. They do. Um but but I think they generally tend to kind of leave that up to us, which is really cool. Um And I mean, you know, I think they certainly there's certainly if they don't think it's a good idea, you're probably never going to start writing the book to begin with. Right. Yes. Yes. So sorry. So to back up, if it's just you're pitching an idea and they're like, well, that's not going to work. You know, that certainly happens. But um, I think once we're kind of in, they, you know, and I and I think we all are at a point where we have editors that we trust and we want their opinion and we like to know what they think. And we're reading from our one perspective. Yes. And so to get to have these other people's perspectives from someone that you really, really trust is very helpful. Well, yeah, didn't, didn't, you, didn't, didn't
5: you ask them, Christy, what do you think? And they immediately went, yes, yes. your editor. Mm-hmm. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, I was shocked. I mean, that really, really surprised me because I um, I had thrown around the idea at the end of Southern Side of Paradise of like, what if we wrote an You know, what do you think? Like, should we end Peachtree Blob? Should we do more? And I, I felt ready to end it at that point. But I thought, what if I come back there one day? And um, my editor at the time said, I think you should totally get back to Peachtree Bluff, but I think it should be a different family. And I was like, yeah, I don't really have any interest in that. Like Ooh, the, the Murphys yeah. to me were kind of Peachtree yeah. Bluff at that moment, and I yeah. didn't really have any interest. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and I thought the answer could be no, we're kind of finished with Peachtree Bluff. Let's move forward. I really, yeah, I, I really, know. truly um, – I, I think when I tell the story now, I sound like I was more confident in it than I really was. Um, my agent thought it was a really good idea because the series had just continued to kind of have these legs um, after those couple of years, but um, we weren't really sure. And um, and I've said this in my talks, but um, I started writing the book, I pitched the idea, and they were and my editor was like, "Well, I like it, but I can't get you a deal, you know, until after Christmas." And I don't know, you know, I don't know. I like it, but they they might say no. Um, and so I wrote it anyway. And so it was kind of my, and I thought, well, awesome. if they don't buy it, I'll
5: do something with it. <laughs> yeah, she wrote 4,000 words a day for 20 days, by the way. Yeah. Which is like, for, for uh, you know, I guess for people who, who aren't professional writers, that's like warp speed. Yep. Yeah. That's like... Fiction on Red Bull.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah, it's like Lois Lane at the
1: typewriter. (laughs) 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 But I'm going to say this too, and I think that goes back to the point of series. You know, when you, I know that town so well, and I know those. Uh
2: oh, she froze up. Oh, you froze. Oh,
1: Oh, are are we we back? back?
5: You're back. We thawed.
1: It was really fun. So anyway, thanks guys for being there and supporting me and helping me power through to write it.
2: Right. Locke says she's a machine.
5: You left us us in the dust, baby. I know.
2: You were like, I'm going to join you. And then the next thing you know, we were just looking at smoke, baby. Just smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Y'all, we want to remind you, all of you out there, to check out our Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Mm podcast. We will always post links under announcements each time a new one goes out. It is so much fun with our rock star librarian, Ron Block, and it's totally different from the show. So if you like hanging out with us here, we know you love hanging out with us there. And he might be stopping by the after show. I'm not Mm -hmm. positive. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, they are every Friday. And this past week, Ron and I talked to Christy. Ron talked to me and to Christy about our new novels. I've been on the road. Y'all give me a break. And this week, Ron talks with Jenna Bloom about her memoir, Woodrow on the Bench. And to quote him on an email to me, get your Kleenex oh that's gonna be
4: a good one
2: um well speaking of people who may or may
4: not be appearing on the after show we neither mm-hmm. confirm nor deny mm-hmm. <laughs> and Brenda gardner run our phenomenal, phenomenal to just added an extra syllable <laughs> um official uh friends of fiction official book club which is a group that's separate from us they're nine and a half thousand members strong. I mean, they're just growing and growing. Uh, this month, they're reading Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty, which they'll be s- discussing with Patty on November 15th. So it's a great group. Um, it's an extension of this group, but they do so much uh, more you know, different stuff. And it's just a great place to be.
5: Yeah. And next week, join us right here at 7 p.m. as usual, as we welcome Zibby Owens. Um, and then in two weeks, join us and meet Armando, Lucas, Correa, and Catherine Ray. And if you're ever wondering what's on our schedule or our dance card, it's always on the Friends and Fiction website. As <clears throat> excuse me, as the web, as, as well as the sidebar of events on our Friends and Fiction Facebook page. And one more thing, YouTube. Which is, you know, you can do more than learn how to paint a pumpkin on YouTube. (laughs) We want to remind you, we're on YouTube every week. We are live there. The show stays there with titles, and now we have clips of each show, so you can watch bits and peach bitches and pieces at your leisure. Bits and pieces. I can say that. Just head over to Friends and Fiction YouTube. What are you laughing about?
3: What are You think I can say that.
5: I can say bitch if I want to. You're not the boss of me. We know we are not. We know. That's we know. So- We're aware. We're aware. <laughs> okay, so go to Friends and Fiction YouTube and click subscribe. And you can catch us, too, on the brand new Loco Plus pa- platform which just launched last week.
1: <laughs> and that's it. That's me. And that's it. That's my cue. That's it for our show tonight. But as always, we'll be continuing the celebration on the after show. So stick around after the credits roll to find out what's written on Mary Kate Andrews. And we'll be talking a little bit more yes. about the world behind Christmas Beach tree block. Celebrating with our dear friends, uh, Ron Block, Lisa Harrison, and Brenda Gardner. And we thank you so much for your support. I hope you'll consider picking up Christmas and Peachtree Block. And we'll see you back here next week, same time, same place, as we welcome Zibby Owens. See you in 30 seconds in the after. Buy her fan book. <laughs> yeah.
4: I knew it. I oh, you betting whether you'd come back with the hat on.
5: Okay, <laughs> I can't even really tell what it's on it. It it? says, "It says, happy holidays." (laughs) Oh my god! Because somebody, some several somebodies, (laughs) decided to ridicule me because I was trying. Last week, I was trying to be all hip and trendy, and I might have said "holla," and then. (laughs) What, did you already have that hat, or did somebody? No, Kristen sent it to me. There's a t-shirt too.
3: Oh my god, it's <laughs> really it's <awesome. laughs> And
5: you know, it's like it's like a it's like a tidal wave of ridicule. <laughs> it, it's supposed to light up. There's like a button that says on off. But you oh my know, my gosh.
2: and you got to tell everybody what somebody brought you when we were on book tour last week. I uh, will. Oh
5: when we were in Sanibel sometime in the past two days, um, someone brought me a loaf of challah bread. <laughs>
4: Hala. Oh, was it Nancy Stetson? I it was Nancy. Nancy. Yeah, it was Nancy Stetson, a, a great
5: writer who did a, st- a feature story for the Southwest Florida paper about all four of us. And she brought me
3: a loaf of challah bread.
1: That's so
2: hilarious. Yeah. Okay, Christy, how are you feeling about the book and your tour so
1: far? And tell us
2: everything. Tell me how you're feeling.
1: Being with you guys has been so much fun. Seeing all of our Friends in Fiction people has been so much fun. I want to put some peer pressure on from the outside because I have really suggested that, um, that everyone come on tour with me on March 29th for the wedding veil. And like, I'm not having any takers so far. So friends (laughs) and fiction, if you could just really like plug that, then we think that would all be a really fun idea. No, but it's just so fun to all be together. I mean, it's just so fun to like be on stage together and talk together and, um, just to see all of these amazing friends of fiction readers and and, and non-friends of fiction readers too that were indoctrinating oh, yeah. slowly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, Plus, Kristen
5: me. Kristen brings brings the snack and the wine game. It's a right. it's like a I major know. No. Snackage wine game that Kristen has going on, and the
2: question game,
4: the Q and A game. Man, yeah. she's like she's so good. Did you guys invite me for the snacks and the wine?
1: Is that what this was? doesn't well,
4: really have a new book. But we, but like, but we kept you for the we
1: kept you for the great questions. Why? Why,
5: oh, okay. why would you ask that?
1: My favorite. Why, why, why would you think that? you you, <laughs> what? You, what? you should see the spread that she brought up here tonight i mean all the food it's unbelievable she like really fed me and it's incredible um but also i think my favorite moment of tour was when patty when kristen asked patty a question and i did it too so it was i'm not saying this about you like <laughs> patty said Gosh, I have to think about that. You know, we didn't know what she was going to ask. And Christian was like, I sent all of you the questions for all of the events. I read the questions. <laughs> Not I want that known.
5: I I read the questions. I <laughs> scared.
1: Callie and I didn't read
4: the
3: questions. <laughs> <laughs> I never would have called it out,
4: except Patty was like, Well, she didn't send us the questions. I was like, I actually. No,
2: but I, I didn't mean it that way. I was like, Oh, I have to actually think about that. I didn't know I what you were like, going well, to ask. Like, well,
5: and to be fair, my book's been out for a month. So yeah, that's true. Right. True. All all true. I'm, true. All I'm doing right. is trying to finish a book on tour. That's all.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yes. So um, my report cards might have said a couple times. Patty was unprepared. So, <laughs> no, so you're just probably. echoing the sentiment that has been stated in previous times.
5: Well, my, report, yeah, my I, report card always said, Kathleen visits with her neighbors, <laughs> well, <laughs> which means won't shut up.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I will just let you know that um, we're all reading a lovely script for our after show here that um, someone who was in no way, in no way, shape, or form in charge of tonight's show had to write. <laughs> I'm sorry. I
4: know. Basically, I mean, I'm just I'm just bossy, when, what you I'm when, bossy, no. but I bring the food and the wine, and it all smooths out. <laughs> when
1: Kristen gets here, we can all relax, because we know it's going to get done. It's basically what happens. <laughs> Which, happen. no, it's,
2: it's all going to be okay. It's,
1: it's all going
4: to be fine. Okay <laughs> Kristen's Kristen here, can. and she will fix it. It's just yeah. Kristen Luffin. I'm going
1: to
2: put that on stickers or something.
4: Yeah. Kristen's all right. Here. I think we have guests. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we have
1: guests. And Lisa and Brenda and Sean and Meg the and talk gang. a little bit. Of <laughs> the gang's all here. we <laughs> <gang's> all here. <laughs>
4: We're all here. We're well,
2: I feel like oh. we need a legit and a friend, like, Friends in Fiction Christmas t-shirt that says, Happy <laughs> Holidays. Well, no, Kristen sent one Kate's to me. She can, send you, oh, can send you the link. Kristen can oh, send no, it. No, I want to no, we, we need your face on it, like your whole face. No, no, yes. no yes. yes,
7: yes, yes, yes. No.
5: yes. Thank you, Ron. I got one vote.
3: Yes. I, I'll, oh, look, has one.
5: One. I'll have one. I have another. Yes. Kristen's a popping the champs now.
4: we're celebrating somebody's new book and i'm just drinking
1: so (laughs) thank you guys so much for joining me to celebrate and um you know christmas in peachtree bluff is about a family who gathers against all odds to salvage an incredible christmas full of love and heart after the storm of the century rips their lives and their towns apart so i don't think any of us have had anything quite that devastating as the loss of our homes right before the holidays um but there have probably been some challenges that we've all had to overcome at Christmas time, or maybe even challenges that you're facing this year. So if that's the case, I'd love to hear about that. And if not, I'd love to hear about your thoughts of the magic and power of the holiday season to wash away our troubles and fill us with hope and love and joy. So our darling Ron, can you start us off?
7: Why do I gotta go first?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we
2: just if we ask Kathy to go first, if we ask Mary Kay to go first, this is what she'll do. No.
3: Mm-hmm. She <laughs> <have to answer. laughs> All
2: right.
7: Okay. So I actually, I'm hoping that we're going to do a special podcast for the holidays, and I'm saving a story for that one.
1: Okay. But oh. If, that story but, then. For,
7: but for tonight, I have, you know, if everybody who knows me knows that I grew up in a very small town, and it wasn't a lot of... Um, a lot of people around and stuff but one of the things i loved and it didn't always happen on christmas but maybe soon afterwards but there was always this beautiful snowfall that came down and you could see it reflect in the lights and it, as it came down and kind of landed on the street no snow plows it just that's when it really felt felt like christmas it felt like the holidays and a new beginning and it was just really awesome and i still think of it today
1: yeah it's beautiful um, that's beautiful.
3: That awesome. Oh, Lisa yeah. looks like you're up. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa's <I'm> up. up. Sean <laughs> can appear on the show <laughs> and
1: part behind the scenes magic.
3: Um, for me, I haven't
2: really had too many challenges around the holidays, but last year, because of COVID, it was such a challenging time. I decided to put my Christmas tree up in July last year. Oh and
6: gosh, I, I-, yes, <laughs> yes. I
2: never took it down. I'm like, look, there no rules. Christmas trees up. I have Halloween decorations on my Christmas tree right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll take
3: them off. I put Saint Patrick's Day decorations on there. It just brightens my living room and makes me feel good through a challenging time. So
4: I feel like the holidays can always make you smile no matter no matter when it is. Oh,
3: so that's how oh, so my Christmas tree is permanent. <laughs> Permanent.
7: And we had a tree in our backyard that we put Christmas lights on a year ago, and they've never turned off. We've left them up all year.
3: Uh, Same same thing as you're saying.
1: Yeah. Okay, so, Brenda, my darling, what about you?
2: Yes. Well, I would say one of my favorite traditions is um, my daughter and I putting up our Christmas tree, which uh, sometimes I have a real tree, but I have this large um artificial prelit tree and each year we get to struggle with the three pieces it's in and getting them all out of the closet <laughs> and getting them all together and all of the lights working but it's all I look forward to it and then she gets to hear the story of all the ornaments every time and she Hi, loves it. I can tell, oh, oh. <laughs> That's
3: awesome.
1: Um Meg, what about you? I keep Ooh. forgetting I'm
3: supposed to be calling you. Um so this is actually very prescient considering your book, Christy, and the date on the calendar today. But Superstorm Sandy was in 2012. Right. right. Pretty much on this set yep. of days. It went on for days and days. But um Dr. Doom, Jim Cantore himself was here. We <laughs> 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 he prefer Storm Stud. Doctor like Doom. <laughs> Doctor
7: Doom is a much more names. appropriate name.
3: It's just, like your, it's just like your book, but um, the reason why it affected our Christmas was because we lost our, um, our entire HVAC system in our house and our family room. We have like a sunken LOL level in our house and that <laughs> was uh, filled with river that came in through the crawl space and oh. sort of, um, devastated our family room and my husband's office and the garage and the crawl space. But what was in the crawl space was the entire heating and cooling system for the whole house. So we didn't, in um, the whole run up to the holidays, which is supposed to be super festive, it was uh, not. <laughs> and it took weeks and weeks to get, because um, it was a huge project to redo and uh, to redo the, the HVAC system. And we didn't get EAT back until December like 23rd. Um, Oh my gosh. And we were like determined to make Christmas normal. I mean, my kids were, that was nine years ago. They're going to be 18 and 20. So they were little, nine and 11. And so we tried to make it as normal as possible. Um, You know, like we were decorating and we put the tree up and we put it in a different spot and we made sure the house looked as good as it could. Just don't turn around because it's a shit show behind you. you (laughs) And the decorations on the outside were great but we went in the garage to retrieve our Christmas decorations to decorate the tree. And, um, all the boxes, we didn't realize all the boxes water had gotten in, river water had gotten in and they were all ruined. Like all the ones, like the kids made, all the handmade ones, covered in black mold. And, um, so this does have a happy ending. <laughs> um, I, you know, I put it up on Facebook, not as like a woe is me, but just as like, what else could happen? You know, like, good God. And I, you know, I said, like, we lost most of our Christmas decorations. Well, that day and for the next three or four days, people just started showing up with stuff. And oh, and no. delivering things oh. and shipping things, and we now we have the most spectacular collection of Christmas tree ornaments because oh. people were like, "Here, take this whole box of stuff we're not using," or, "I just ordered you these twelve things from Pottery Barn or whatever." So oh, people really wow. did them together, and we made the best of it. And then the heat did come on two days before Christmas, and that was uh, that warmed thing right up. But, oh.
1: Wow! I never. Knew
3: I that. love
7: that story.
3: That's oh awesome. man.
1: All right, Sean,
3: what
7: about you? Oh, yeah. I was all prepared to be funny and witty, but I just remembered.
3: Oh, you were. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, I just
7: remembered last Christmas, my dad um, had COVID and he was in the hospital. Oh. And he, he was like a step away from getting on a respirator. And, uh, you know, it's just, yeah. we were just calling every day. I, I'm here in New Mexico. My whole family's on the East Coast and my sisters went to. To help my mom and take care of all that stuff, and it felt really weird to be so far from it, you know. And yeah, thank right. God, my dad had a full recovery, got out of the hospital, and still still yeah. Yeah, 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 that was a hard, yeah. it's definitely yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I remember that. Yeah, Kathy, Mary Kay, what about
3: you?
5: Well, one year, I don't know, nine or ten years ago, in the in our previous house, in the same little. Mayberry with cocktail neighborhood that we've lived in for so many years. Um, Everybody knows how much I love to decorate for Christmas. And so we've been on the neighborhood Christmas tour of homes. I don't know, maybe five times. So we were on the Christmas tour of homes that year. And of course I'd made my whole family insane by saying, you gotta do this. Get out. And so we had put up the Christmas tree in this little sunroom in the front of the house And my husband had strung the lights, and I had put my whole collection of vintage glass, shiny bright ornaments on it. And some neighbor friends, jokesters, were walking up to the house to give us some crap about, are you guys going to be ready? You know, have you swept the house? Because I was making everyone insane. And as they were walking up, the Christmas tree went all the glass ornaments shattered and they these two guys looked at each other and went dude we're out and <laughs> yeah. ran ran away and then so then my husband mr mka basically ended up i mean i don't know how many were smashed and ruined but we had to you know we had to have the tree back up so he he literally wired the tree to the to the wall oh my gosh yeah. And then I went out and bought more ornaments. So it ha- does have a happy ending. It has a
3: happy ending. <laughs> Hoarder's gonna
5: hoard.
2: <laughs> 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 decorator's gonna that. decorate. That's, That's right. right. That's right.
4: Um, you know, well, we, I don't think I've ever had anything super challenging or terrible happen at Christmas time, but I remember last year, you know, just in the midst of COVID, and you guys all know we were playing so safe and we were being. So uh oh. Anything? So you know did we come back? All, all of these, you know, all of these normal um, Christmas things we did. Like I said earlier, our tradition was always going to Disney and doing the monorail loop at the hotels. We didn't do that, um, and I felt very responsible for making Christmas magical for a four-year-old because that's you know that's the age. You only have those few years where it's pure and magical and you know, even everything related to the Christmas spirit. And um, I was so worried about disrupting that. But I think that what we learned at the end of the day was it wasn't about places you go or, you know, the gifts you give or any of those things. It was that we were together and we were safe and we were with our family and we loved each other and you know, we were surrounded by love. And I, I think that's something that Christmas in Peachtree Bluff celebrates, too. They don't have the Christmas that they're expecting to have, but, um, but they have each other. And that's... That at the end is what matters. That's true.
2: Yeah, true
1: That's matters. true. That's true. Annie that that Henry.
2: Well, oh. I was going to tell uh, I knocked over the Christmas tree story, <laughs> but it's not, an, I, was, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was pregnant with Megan, and she was a week overdue. And we decided to have a dinner party. And I was so proud of how I decorated the house. We were, we'd were we only been married a couple of years. We had this new house. I was pregnant with our baby. And I went behind the Christmas tree to turn up the stereo for the Christmas music and forgot about my stomach. So um,
3: yeah.
2: I knocked down the entire Christmas tree and it went shattering everywhere and the, oh, was, oh, anyway. No. But I think, you know, when we talk about um, trying to find and fill it with hope and love and joy, it's never about all the the presents and all of that. But I was really, really sad last year because I didn't get to see my daughter and son-in-law and, and granddaughter, um, you know, for that whole time during COVID. And Christmas has always been a big family holiday. All the parents, all the grand, you know, the whole thing. And at the last minute, they were able to come and the entire house was full of toddlers and my sister-in-law and my nieces and both sets of parents. And it was just, it, it was like a movie where we thought it was gonna be this empty sadness and it was pure and utter chaos. And it was amazing.
3: That's
1: awesome. Nice. nice. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess this this influenced Christmas and Peachtree love. But the first Christmas after Florence, we were in this little condo. And I remember my husband being like, let's just get like a little tiny tree. And I was like, absolutely not. We were having the <laughs> biggest Christmas we've ever had. And I went on oh, this <laughs> giant tree. No one could walk around in the condo. Like, If you wanted to get to the kitchen, you had to walk around the tree. If you wanted to get to our room, you had to walk around the tree. But man, we were having that tree. And so um, the next year, we moved back into the house right after Thanksgiving. The first night that we were there, I turned the bathroom on upstairs, the plumbing exploded and it flooded the downstairs like living room. And um to the point like some of our workers cried. Like they were like, how can this happen? Like it's this is this cannot happen. So um they were great and they tried to put it back together really quickly, but we had to get our Christmas tree. So we had like this whole front part of the house that was being fixed again and had the ceilings and walls all out again um, being fixed. And so we put and all the brand new furniture that was also ruined by the thousands of gallons of water exploding. Uh. So um, we put the Christmas tree somewhere different than where we normally put it, and we decorated and we had hot cocoa. We pretended that there was not bisqueen all over the house, and we acted <laughs> like it was normal. Um, and so uh, the next day, um, they had worked really hard on the house, and it was getting back together. And someone came to install the new rug in the living room that had just flooded. And they had it on a dolly, and they whipped the dolly around. The rug went into the Christmas tree. Oh. It, over, it smashed all the ornaments on the side. Oh. Well, December 29th, so we had all these hand oh. ornaments. And little Will was there, and I remember him looking at me like, because I'm really big Ooh. on my ornaments. And I was like, it's fine. We're going to go out, and we're going to find something new, and we're going to put it on that side of the tree, oh, and we're going to keep guess. going. And so that year, we went out, and we bought like a 1,000 jingle bells. I'm not really a and It's probably like 150, but jingle bells, and we put them all over the side of the tree where all the ornaments had smashed. And so, um, and every time we would go by, someone would be like, "Every time the bell rings, an angel gets its wings." And, you know, though I've grown old, the, still, the bell still rings for me as it does for all who truly oh. believe. So, um, it was kind of good. And now every year we have all these jingle bells, and, um, and it's it's kind of great. So, anyway, you know, you just you just power through and. Um, you make the magic where you can, and um, you are really grateful for things that you sometimes take for granted, I think. So we're really looking forward to a normal, yeah. great, easy Christmas year. <laughs> Fingers crossed.
3: Um, he was
7: hoping. Here's hoping. Here's
1: hoping. Exactly. Here's hoping. But um, actually, and we were all at Oxford Exchange for Patty's launch and um, in Savannah. I mean, not at Oxford Exchange, at the Paris Market, and they had all these beautiful felt ornaments. And I've made a pact with myself that I will never again buy breakable ornaments. I'm just not gonna do it. And so they had all these felt ornaments, and I got this huge bag of felt ornaments that I thought Will would really like. So I'm excited oh, to them. take
3: them to <laughs> I'll
1: have jingle bells and felt ornaments, and it'll be fine. <laughs> all is well than ends well. Yeah. Right well, thank you guys so much for joining us here tonight. This was so fun. And um Paula, <laughs>
3: uh, <laughs> congratulations! Yeah,
1: yes. I miss you guys. Thank you for coming on tour. And thank I you miss you too.
3: Thank you for writing now, this wonderful book. Buy the damn book!
1: Buy yes. the damn yes. book! Yes. book yes. Buy your book, damn it! Buy
2: your book! There Thanks,
4: you everybody. Go. It's a bye great book. Hi
2: you, guys.
4: Thank bye. you, Christy. Enjoy bye. it. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank
0: you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
6: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the
3: world.